Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert, the host of Potterless, and I'm still in Canada, so I'm going to be doing Canadian-themed introductions while I'm here, because why not? So, the first I want to say is that my listenership in 2020 grew the most in Canada out of any country. We went up 63% in listenership on Spotify, so thank you, Canada. I'm very appreciative of all of you for listening to this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. If you're listening to this about the time it came out, it's mid-December, and you know, Christmas is coming around, Hanukkah's already started, there are various holidays afoot, and maybe you need some presents to get. Well, why don't you get your loved ones some Potterless-themed gifts? You could get them some merchandise at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got posters, we've got pins, we've got stickers, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. Or maybe you want to gift someone patronage. You could gift someone a Patreon account at patreon.com slash potterless, and then look at access to all the sweet bonus content and some other exclusive merchandise. There's so much good things that you can do, so if you're scrambling and you need some last-minute Christmas gifts, We've got you covered. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And speaking of people having you covered, there are people who are covering the costs to produce this show, and those are our patrons over at patreon.com slash potterless, and we have a whole bunch of new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Fire Whiskey and Honey, Rima Mehta, Luisa Elmarova, Philo Green, someone that made their username Dumbledore Calrissian, and someone else that made their username Youngledore. Shout out to Joe Sandor, who upgraded to the producer level status, and an apology for not saying the producer level patron Wire Warrior in a few recent episodes. Wire Warrior, of course, is a member of our illustrious list of producer-level patrons. Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Janin, Callahan, Leah, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Rees, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Lior, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Delkis, Katrina, Casey, Megan, Zat, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Dedekins, Alaria, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Jenna, Laura, Gila, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans People are People, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Joe, Wire Warrior, Punkfish, Rochelle, Steamed Nuggets, and Cartabata. Who never, when they're playing a board game, think, oh, I don't need to do this on this turn. I can do this on my next turn. And then they lose before their next turn takes place. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content such as director's commentary, bonus episodes, exclusive monthly live streams, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 155 of Potterless, the third part of our Puffs discussion, guest starring David Gordon. Tells me what to do. It's a little bit mean and a little bit green. It belongs to you, no. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 28-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. 
He read them as an adult. Then he watched a whole bunch of other stuff, and one of those other things was Puffs the Play. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the Grown Man, and I'm here joined today by past guest of the show, Seattle improviser I used to do a bunch of shows with. It's David Gordon. David, how's it going? So good. That, uh, so good. <laughs> it's funny. You, I don't know if that was an intentional Homestar Runner reference, but I did watch Trogdor this morning because my wife, Kelly, had never heard of it before. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess she wasn't a teenage boy in the year 2004. <laughs> I realize now that, like, most people probably are not my generation and in, like, my <laughs> same group of people that watched Homestar Runner. But, yeah, anytime I say so good, it is absolutely a Teen Girl Squad reference. That's very good. That is so good, if you will. I'm very excited to have you back on the show. It's been a million years, I think. More or less, Especially yeah. given how long 2020 has been. Like, 2020 alone has been, I think, half a million years. So at that, plus the last time you were on the show, we're at a full million. And we're going to continue the discussion of Puffs. Now, you had never seen it except for watching it in prep for this podcast. So just overarchingly, what do you think about it? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like, I, I do a lot of kind of fringe theater on the level that, like, I mean, Puffs is obviously, like, a more polished production than uh, than most that I work on, but kind of in the same level of like, this is how much of a set we're going to have. <laughs> this is uh, this is sort of the uh, budgetary constraints and uh, like style constraints that we're going to be working with. And uh, I really love working in that kind of space. I obviously am missing it right now, but <laughs> I had not seen it before this. I had kind of heard about it, I think, just offhandedly from you. Ah. But yeah, this was this was my first time watching it. So I, yeah, I enjoyed it. It is kind of the, the intersection for me of like having done the whole Wizard Rock thing. Right. Back in the day, the sort of like Harry Potter derivative works, a little bit making fun of it, a little bit reverential. Yeah, that's why I pegged you as a perfect guest for this, is that the type of humor in Puffs is very much reminiscent to me of the humor that you did for Alas Earwax, most notably just kind of pointing out those things that don't make sense and are funny to jab at. Like you have a whole song about, hey, they have witch hats on the school uniform required list, but then they never talk about these hats. <laughs> Little things like this that you don't necessarily realize until someone points it out and then you go, oh yeah, because I did that a lot during watching Puffs. <laughs> my uh, my dad right now is rereading through the series and every time he finds a reference to the hats, he texts me. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's in the middle of Goblet of Fire right now and he just texted me, you know, Goblet of Fire page 200 and something. They they mentioned the hats. They do in Goblet of Fire? Hold on, let me let me find the text because I was I was also like, "Huh, really?" I was convinced it was book 1 and that was it. So yeah, the text is Ron's wearing a hat. Goblet, page 241. I guess <laughs> they don't go away as completely as uh, as my song would imply. One last sort of connection between Alas Earwax and Puffs. Mm -hmm. I wrote this song called Bronze and Blues. Oh, yeah. It's just essentially my, it's my version of Puffs, but for Ravenclaw. The most important thing a Ravenclaw can be Is a bit part player with no personality You know, the, the Puffs, like, really get kind of a bad rep in terms of, like, you know, the narrative sort of looking down on them a little bit, but like Ravenclaw is like, oh, it's all the smart people. But then like you actually think about like what Ravenclaws do over the course of the seven books. I'm like, man, we didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, there's not <laughs> a lot. I feel like the natural response to Puffs is try to make claws and then maybe snakes. Just <laughs> I think an effective thing that Puffs does is making you think about what the entire series is like from the perspective of someone else. And yeah. 
Yeah, the puffs didn't do much either. So I don't know that you should feel too bad for the Ravenclaws. <laughs> I mean, at least like Luna was very important in helping Harry get the tiara. The puffs, like the closest they got was Cedric. <laughs> almost won the Triwizard Tournament? <laughs> like, not a, not a whole lot to go off of. Yeah. If I was writing Claws, which, I mean, I'm not saying I won't do that. <laughs> I've written <laughs> short plays. I've written one full-length play. Obviously done the last earwax. I'm not saying I wouldn't write Claws, but I feel like if the arc of Puffs is coming to terms with your puffness and, like, realizing that the the values of, of Hufflepuff are more worthwhile than they're commonly presented. I feel like the arc of Claws would be like, yeah, we're the smart kids going to like, man, we're not doing anything. Like, we're not actually accomplishing. We're not helping anybody. <laughs> we're just here. <laughs> yeah, like, what's the point of being like the smart house if none of us actually do anything? <laughs> and kind of having that existential crisis in play form. Just seven years of people studying quietly in their rooms and then walking down the hallway and being like, well, huh? A troll? Oh, yeah, it's a performance mm -hmm. art piece where you hear the important scenes kind of yelled from two rooms away <laughs> while the Ravenclaws do nothing. Just a very muted... <laughs> what are you doing in the halls after hours? <laughs> oh, man. So let's continue Puffs. Let's actually talk let's about it. talk about the thing we're here to talk about. So where we last left the Puffs, there was just the dueling club scene. Harry and Malfoy fought. The snake attacked Jay Finch. Jay Finch is very scared. So the Puffs all go back to the common room and they all vow that they are going to band together and keep Jay Finch safe. And they say, just don't leave the common room. And then he immediately leaves the common room and the snake gets him as well as nearly headless Nick. And the prop for the snake is very impressive. Their big props are incredibly well done. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. And you talked about this with Katie, but like it's just so much fun to see how basic your uh, materials can be and still make something that's really cool to watch. Yeah, this is the case with the snake. This is the case when they do the Dementor. Oh, the it's, Dementors are my favorite effect in the entire show. They're so great. And it's all made out of not expensive or not hard to obtain items, but the way they're done is really impressive. And I think it's just, I don't know if there's a way to describe it aside from just it looks better than it should and it's great. Like, you look at it, it's like, oh, it's all these simple items. But when they all come together, it's gorgeous, and I'm very impressed. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's just, it's the fringe theater aesthetic, because that's every show I've ever been involved with. It's just had to be like, <laughs> this is what we have to work with, so we got to figure out how to make this good. It reminds me a lot of, there's a, there's a group here in Seattle who I think got the idea from a group in, I want to say Portland, but they're, they're called Hello Earth Productions. They did this show called Outdoor Trek which was theater in the park renditions of Star Trek, ah. the original series episodes. But like, it, it's that same aesthetic of like, we don't have the money for gun props, but here's like a hose attachment, like one of those like, you know, trigger pull, like oh. hose attachments. <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, we went yeah, to a yeah. hardware store, spent 10 bucks on enough of these for the crew to have <laughs> laser guns. It does not take much if you just think creatively and commit to just like, this is it. This is what we have. The committing is key and they do it and they go all in and they're not afraid of it. And I really appreciate it a whole lot. Love it. I also appreciate that I noticed at this point, Wayne is wearing a shirt that instead of saying Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles says Teenage Mutant Wizard Turtles along the line of he wears many shirts where they will just change one or two of the words with something pinned on top of it to make it wizard themed. That the Wolverine shirt where he has a badger for a, like <laughs> yep. a 
badger head over his <laughs> face. Yeah. So then there is a scene between Wayne and Ginny where Wayne clearly has a crush on Ginny, which I think is very fun and Neville-esque of him. But one thing I noticed, and I'll have to talk about this when I have Katie back on for the ending episodes of Puffs, is that one of the actress who plays Ginny, one of her socks is a pair of socks that I own that Katie gave to me in Secret Santa. <laughs> it's socks that say carpe the fuck out of this DM. They are grayish blue with clouds on them. So they're these pretty looking happy socks that uh, have a curse word on them unknowingly. And uh, they're great. I'm a big fan. So I noticed that it's like I have those socks and not only do I have those socks, Katie gave me those socks. My Ginny Weasley socks. Mm hmm. <laughs> so at this point, we're at the end of the school year. Dumbledore announces the whole Harry, Ron conquering the snake. While he is doing this, Harry just kind of pokes his head around from behind a little pillar. And he says, I'm the hero of this school, which uh, <laughs> I just I just love how backgroundy they make Harry and just how aloof he is. It's truly fantastic. It's a very sort of like naive aloofness. Mm -hmm. Like that's one thing. It'd be easy to make Harry kind of like the villain of this story. Like, you know, no shade on them, but very Potter musical kind of does by the time of senior year, especially. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, I think that's an intentional very Potter choice is they went with Harry's kind of a jerk. Why don't we just make him a bad guy type character? This one is more of Harry seems to get his way without really trying. Let's amplify that. So I like that the two shows make fun of Harry, but in different ways. Yeah. One show, very Potter musical, making fun of his attitude, and this show making fun of just how everything seems to go right for him. It feeds into the theme of Puffs, where, you know, Harry isn't aware of anything that the Hufflepuffs are doing, right. with the exception of Jay Finch not liking him after the snake thing, or like Ernie Mac not believing him initially in I think it's book five just playing is like okay if this is about all the things Harry is oblivious to our Harry is just gonna be oblivious <laughs> and that makes it great the actress playing Harry does an amazing job she's fantastic and I have an interview with her and some of the other actors in Puffs and she was a delight and we got to talk about her portrayal of Harry and it was a fun time so stay tuned for future Potterless episodes Ooh. Ooh. Dumbledore continues and he says now y'all know I don't pick favorites but Harry is my favorite. Which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is so good. And very accurate. True. So we cut to the summer of year three. The uh, astute observation that they make in the play that, again, something I didn't realize, is that in order for the trio to talk with each other via owls and letters, they have to send multiple copies of the same letter to each other. And this is something I had never processed before and I found very funny upon watching. I like the idea of Harry and Hermione needing to explain to Ron the concept of carbon copy paper. Oh, you can just imagine yeah. Ron being like, oh man, I'm going to have to write it twice. And then they'd be like, I mean, there's a muggle solution to this. And then all of them realizing they can do magic. Yeah, I guess I haven't really used carbon copy paper except for... Every time I've moved, which is far <laughs> too many. So I think I have a negative prejudice against carbon copy paper. I mean, that's because <laughs> I think that's, that's the only time I use it. Of all of the things to have prejudices against, I can live <laughs> with that one. That yellow paper that goes behind white paper and takes imprints. Uh. Ugh. <laughs> So Wayne, in his letter, writes about Free Willy. Again, love a 90s reference here. But he does make it awkward by saying he wants to free his own Willy. And later on, Oliver will make fun of this by saying, yeah, free your own Willy. And then making a confused, what did I just say, face. There's also a point, though, where Wayne 
asks at the end of his letter, P.S., how does this owl know where to go? Which I think brings up an important <laughs> argument that we have touched on a bit here in Potterless in that the owls are literate, they can read and write, and they're also perfectly functioning GPS systems. <laughs> the owls in Harry Potter are just regular owls, right? They're not magical owls. Are all owls this smart? Like, I'm confused of how they are so good at their job. I have thought about that. Somewhere in a drawer, I have an Alas Earwax song that I never finished. Mm. Maybe because I didn't know what the answer was. I mean, I feel like from what's established in canon, it seems like any owl, if you hand it a wizard letter, will figure out how to take it to the right place. Maybe that's why they still use quills and ink. Owls can't read pens or pencils or markers, but they can read quill ink. Yeah, owls aren't like forward compatible. <laughs> <laughs> Owls are PlayStation 1 games and you can't use it unless you have the first giant clunky PlayStation 3 like I have marinating in my parents' <laughs> upstairs game room for whenever I want to bust out Crash Bandicoot in four pixels. You know what? I'm I'm into this headcanon of <laughs> that's why we're still using quills and parchment because that's all the owl post can handle. It's the only thing that makes sense of why they still use quill pens. I get that they don't like muggle technology, but the fact that they have not upgraded to pens and pencils makes just no sense at all. <laughs> so Megan here at this point makes the first of what will be a few across this year serious puns where she says that this year is going to be seriously great or have serious fun or whatever. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's an atrocious pun, but it is made good given how much the actress hams it up when she delivers the line. So, you know, I think it's the only acceptable circumstances in which you can make this very low hanging. The fruit is actually underground. Oh, no, it's a carrot. That's how low, <laughs> that's how low hanging the joke I mean, is. I, I, I think what, what sells it for me as a person who makes that kind of pun all the time in real life is that it's an instance where the character themselves is making a joke, right? Like, it's not like this is a joke of the play that they've said this thing that is humorous to us, the audience. This is the character thinking they are very funny <laughs> and telling you a joke and everyone reacting exactly the way they do to my puns. Big old groan. <laughs> so the narrator says that they have measures in place to make the children feel safe. And this is where we get the Dementor fight scene where you see the Dementors. And in the film version, it's cool because you get these action shoddy angles of the narrator using what I assume is Expecto Patronum against the Dementors. And I got to say, seeing this live, it was very cool. Seeing it on video, it's very cool. It's a very fun prop that I was genuinely surprised by. I, oh, yeah. It's, it's huge. That was so cool, that moment. Like I said, I think it's probably my favorite like effect in the show. Mm -hmm. The lighting is great. It's ominous looking. It's a very well done little transition scene. Oh, yeah. So then at this point, the narrator gives out magical chocolate to everyone in the front row. As he's giving them out, he says, ah, oh, yes, a row low, which is good because... I don't know if Rolos are just a regional thing, but I do feel like they are a very niche chocolate, which I think is a fun selection to make. Yeah, and I, I like my impression of Rolos is just like they're a candy that like everybody's heard of, but nobody like goes out of their way to get. Yeah, they are very much in shape. And I also think popularity, the chocolate version of Mentos, where you're like, oh, yeah, I've had Mentos. But no one out there is like, you know what I need? A cylinder of mints that are not individually wrapped 
And if I put them in Diet Coke, bad things happen. I mean, I think this is going to turn out to be the thing from this episode that all of your fans are going to come at you about. Oh, yeah. The Rolo stands are going to unearth themselves. I feel like every single episode, there's one thing. And this episode, it's going to be people who love Rolos. Yeah. You know, Robert Lopez, Rolo himself, will send me an email and be like, my father invented Rolos. (laughs) I remember they were in, I did dance classes in middle school. I did hip hop classes and they were in the little concession stand. They did a fundraising. I guess you could buy candy on your way out of the dance studio and Rolos were always there and no one ever bought them because you would pick normal things like Butterfingers that a kid wants. No kid's like, yeah, mom, please give me a tube of Rolos. It's been... Probably 10 years since the last time I had a roll. <laughs> I'm very excited for someone, or maybe Rolo themselves, to send me a box of Rolos to try to prove me into liking them. I don't think they're bad. They're just not like, hell yeah. So I thought it was a very funny choice of candy. It's one of those things where like in the moment it just comes off very like off the cuff, but like you can just imagine like how long they like listed out types of chocolate and like picked exactly the most comedic one. They ran it through focus groups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like like all fringe artists do. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is again, the parallels to a very Potter musical are here. They have fringe candy in Red Vines, and then now they have Rolos. Except Red Vines, we did always have Red Vines at CSC Seattle, and I never understood why, because I don't think Red Vines are particularly good. I mean, I I am not a huge licorice fan, just as a, as a rule. I thought that until someone sent me a bunch of packs of Australian soft chewing licorice, and that is very good. But you do have to put... Three good words before you get to licorice (laughs) to make it good. Australian soft and chewing. (laughs) Well, next time I'm going to Australia, I'll pick me up some. Yeah, so 2028 when we finally get things together. (laughs) Oh boy, that's optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) So he gives out the chocolate to the front row and then he stands up and to the back says, you in the back, I'm sorry, you're sad forever. And then goes on. (laughs) Great moment. And when I watched this, I was in the back and I left. It was great. (laughs) So year three, the very first line that is said is, I believe Oliver comes out on stage and just screams, I'm telling you guys, the headmaster looks different this year, which, (laughs) God, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And they follow through and even have a different person from here on out playing Dumbledore. It is a wonderful bit. And the commitment to it is great. And I, ugh. Gosh, making fun of the movies is something they do very well in this play. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know in uh, in Katie's episode, there was a little bit of, of talk about, you know, inside jokes in terms of like, you know, you ha- you have to know these things about the Harry Potter fandom or the movies or the conversation around the movies in the case of the I'm the picture of calm right now <laughs> line from year four. But I agree with that in general. Like you want this kind of thing to be accessible to like as many people as possible, even if they don't know the deep lore or whatever. But I don't know. If you're showing up to a Harry Potter show like you got to have been around the conversation at least enough to get most of these. The other thing with this particular joke, I think it falls into something we are familiar with by doing short form improv comedy with CSE Seattle is there are a lot of movies, TV shows, plays that we probably have not seen, but we know enough to make jokes about to where we can convince an audience, yes, I definitely know the thing that we're talking about. And you just know your key things. There was a very long time where I didn't know anything about Die Hard because I hadn't seen it. I have seen it. Don't worry. Die Hard was one for me, too, where it's like I could convince people that I knew things about (laughs) Die Hard before I had ever seen the movie. Before seeing the movie, just by doing improv shows, I knew that he walks on glass at some point in his bare feet for some reason. Uh It takes place in a tower. Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber and he has a very silly accent. 
and uh, he falls off a building. Yeah. And I, from that, and Yippie Kaye and Bruce Willis being in there and Bruce Willis actually having hair, those things, I was like, I can get by an improv show where Die Hard comes up. And I think for this level of Harry Potter joke, everybody gets it. Everyone knows a few things, and I think Dumbledore getting recast is one of them. I also think that's why the Olive Garden Wingardium Liviosa joke that we talked about in a previous episode works is because I think most people know that. It's not Liviosa, it's Liviosa scene. So if you're going to make inside baseball jokes, if you do them about the things that are pretty ubiquitous, you're going to get a high hit rate. And then also, yeah, I don't know many people going to Puffs that aren't Harry Potter fans, so (laughs) you can have some of these jokes and you're probably going to be okay. Unless you're like my uncle who went to see The Hobbit 2 without having seen the first one. Huh. Was that the decimation of Smaug or whatever? (laughs) Yeah. Is that actually what the title is? Desolation. Desolation. I I thought that, but I thought that's not a word. That's not a word. M is just the letter next to L. (laughs) Yeah, the decimation of uh, Smog is where Smog only burns every 10th house. Ha ha. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Big feet with hair on it. Am I right? (laughs) What about second breakfast? Oh, no. We've gone way off track now. (laughs) I've seen Lord of the Rings, just not the Hobbit movies. I mean, that's fine. (laughs) Thank you, Past David. I agree. I think that is fine. Hey, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going, everyone? I also think that something that would be fine would be taking a bit of a break here, since we're already on quite a big tangent, for a little segment we like to call Wingardium Eteridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Brooklyn, and let's say hypothetically that you are Wayne Hopkins, you're home for the summer, and you are so excited to finally get back to Hogwarts, and you have a hard time sleeping because you're so excited. What could help you fall asleep quickly and soundly? Comfortable bedding from Brooklyn. Brooklinen works directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. They've got a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and your tastes. Kelly and I have bedding from Brooklinen. We have sheets, pillowcases, and a duvet cover, and it just makes for a very fancy sleeping experience. It feels very elegant to have these wonderful products that look really nice and feel really nice, and you don't have to pay an arm and a leg to get them. We're not the only people that enjoy Brooklinen. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews, and Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. But you're going to love Brooklyn and stuff over your lifetime because the sheets get softer with each wash. But it goes beyond bedding, they also have towels and loungewear, so if you're looking for some gifts for the holidays, you could get some Brooklyn and stuff and make people feel fancy in many places in their home. But you could also get the stuff for yourself, so don't wait. Do something nice for yourself. Do something nice for someone else. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code POTTERLESS and you will get 10% off your first order and free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter that promo code POTTERLESS for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. So go to brooklinen.com, use that promo code POTTERLESS, get those savings, and get some wonderful bedding to help you fall asleep during your excited, not-at-Hogwarts-yet phase today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of POTTERLESS. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the 
Marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% you off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. Wild collection cards for reopening some packs in a more transparent way. Whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. So Megan this year has decided that she's going to spend time with the Braves. This is her third year and her third new shtick. There's also the development of Sally doing the classic, which I think is one of just the funniest things to make fun of is girl takes off glasses. Now girl is hot now trope, which I think is always just the most absurd, wackest thing that happened in every 80s movie, I think. So the fact that this play also <laughs> makes fun of it, I think is very good and then doubles down on it where Sally very much cannot see going forward without her glasses. The actress even does a very impressive cross-eye look, which I, it's oh, yeah. stunning. It looks painful. It really does. She does kind of drop it later on initially, so I can imagine it must have been painful, but it is still worth it for the initial joke of she can't see. The cross-eyed nature when she takes the glasses off is intense, so I am here for it. I will say my favorite version of that joke I've ever seen is the one in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, what do they do? It's just the same thing in reverse, <laughs> where the girl is pretending not to be nerdy, and she puts the glasses on. <laughs> it's super endearing in the context, because she's obviously a huge nerd and trying to hide it. And like putting the glasses on, like it's played the exact same way of like, oh, she was beautiful all along. But it's like, oh, she was intelligent all along. <laughs> That's good. I like it. It's still playing the trope, but like that's the version that I've seen that I'm like, all right. It's good. That's well done. I like it a lot. So now they're getting into taking elective courses and Hermione is in every single class. The way they do this is just a different actor has the very big Hermione wig that they use. And one of these classes, Oliver is mistakenly put into muggle studies, but it turns out that it's just flashcards with everyday muggle objects. So the teacher holds up a picture of a toaster and then asks the class, does anyone know what this is? And Oliver knows it's a toaster and he's very excited about this. And then the teacher asks, can anyone tell me what algebra is? And Oliver pronounces that he would like to remain in this class, please. So I'm happy for him. He found a class he's good at. Yeah, I was interested that they didn't pick arithmancy. Yeah. But I, I get why, because Muggle Studies is a better joke. It is a better joke. I also just, we never know anything about arithmancy, except for that it's taught by Professor Vector. <laughs> and I'm just so curious. I'm sure there's some fanfic out there, so oh, yeah. uh, maybe I'll have to do some deep diving there, but... Wizard math just sounds so promising. I say this as I record this in the apartment of Kelly's sister and her husband, who both are PhD math graduates. So I feel like I'm in a very arithmancy approved household. There's an entire <laughs> bookshelf of just 
math books. So I feel very much in the right frame of reference to do an arithmancy deep dive. <laughs> nice. I will also say the bit in this where there's only two actors playing every single teacher, mm. just sort of alternating in between classes, is one of my favorite things to watch. Like anytime I've seen any play that just has just that bit of like just a couple of actors like rotating in through just a bunch of roles. It's just always fun, and it's a good acting challenge for them. See how many different characters you can really differentiate with a little costume change and a little, you know, diction change. It's so fun. It's very fun, and it's also, in addition to being fun and a challenge, it's helpful for the audience because since people are being so many different roles, it's at least nice to say, oh, this woman is always the women teachers, and this man is always the men teachers. Except for Dumbledore, where they're both them. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even realize that, that the two teachers, oh, it go, that Gah, so smart. <laughs> Look at this. It's really smart. And for a play that has so many different characters, it's nice to try to ground it and make it easier on the audience in any way that you can. So to make all of the staff just those two people is really smart and then also very fun and well executed. Indeed. So then the three Hermione's get together after this rapid montage of scenes. They all stand in the same area facing each other and they all in unison go, oh, honestly. And was this... A Harry Potter reference, like, does she say that at some point in the movies? I fell out of the loop here. I don't know if it was just them being funny or if this was a reference that whooshed over my head. Uh, that is definitely something she says. Okay. I don't remember it being memorable enough to necessarily motivate that joke. Okay, that's what I thought. It's like, I believe that she said this, but I don't think it's as famous enough where everyone goes, ah, yes, the classic, oh, honestly line that Hermione delivers. It's no Leviosa. Right, right, right. It's no punch in the face of Draco. Oh, man, we we didn't get to see that, like, weird mop wig punch Draco in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so Sirius then attacks on Halloween. And this brings up a question again, something I didn't think of. Does all of this stuff actually happen on Halloween every year? Because if that's the case, <laughs> you have Harry's parents dying on Halloween, the death day party thing. Now this, is there always bad stuff on Halloween happening? I did not, like, I had the same question watching it. I did not recall off the top of my head, but just given how well-researched the show is, my guess is going to be yes. Yeah, okay, well, I agree. If I'm wrong about the amount of dramaturgy they did to get their <laughs> Harry Potter facts right, given that every person in the audience is probably a super fan, I'm going to say that's probably accurate. David Gordon, just so trusting of other Harry Potter nerds that were writing a play. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I would have double-checked that, so I assume they did too. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you have the Puffs talking about the serious attack. Hannah says, someone told me that the murderer was only going after pretty girls, so I don't have to work. Oh, I get it. <laughs> they were bullying me, which a good bit. This happened with the troll. This is back. I like this joke a lot. Cedric comes in, he is going to tell everyone a story to help everyone go to sleep because at this point they're doing the slumber party in the Great Hall. So he starts to tell the story of Helga Hufflepuff. The book is called The Tragic Yet Rewarding History of the Puffs, which feels incredibly on brand. <laughs> and they are going back and there's this flashback hand puppety type thing to talk about the founders. And the Gryffindors or the Braves are decided as the students who are brave. The Smarts are the students who are smart. And then for the Snakes, it says students who are blonde, rich, assholes, which is very solid. I appreciate that. It is kind of hard to put a finger on 
what the Slytherins end up representing versus what they are supposed to represent, especially given what Salazar Slytherin originally had in mind. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the eternal challenge. I don't know if this bit has continued, but uh, I remember when I did the sound for your live show and people coming up to ask uh, questions in the Q&A had to identify themselves as Slytherin, not a racist. That was the first time I did it. I did that off the cuff, and it has been a staple at every single live Potterless event that has ever taken place since. So that has stuck, which is good. I'm glad to see Potterless continuing to uh, avow (laughs) anti-racism. You got to do it. You got to be anti-racist. And I am glad that it has continued. It's funny when it continues in non-live show spaces. Sometimes when Slytherin people will email me, they will sign it, you know, Jamie Slytherin and then in parentheses, not a racist. So that's always fun. And then sometimes people just across social media will mention that they are Slytherin and that they're not racist. And I hope that everyone gets the joke and just, you know, there could be someone, a heathen who skips the live show episodes or something, and they're just very confused about why why everyone feels the need to say that they're not racist at the start of the comment that they're making or something. It's just extra motivation for you all to listen to the live show episodes, which are all very good. Especially uh, that one that I helped record, because the sound quality, all me. It was honestly very good, and I have to say, I did a live show in Phoenix, Arizona, and I had two different ways to record the show and both failed. So I wish I had you there because that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, actually, I think that show we were on our first fail safe by the time we got the recording we ended up with. Yep, but it ended up working and you even made a backup to the backup for the longest time. I had two versions of the live show file and I think one was called high quality and then one was called either oops or backup or something of the of the variety. (laughs) Just in case high quality doesn't work. Here's mediocre. (laughs) High quality and day old audio. So Dumbledore does the intercom announcements to announce, you know, that they all have to go to the Great Hall and that it's safe now. He always ends these intercom announcements by yelling something at the end. So this is the early instance of the whole, this Dumbledore is a loud yelling one. So I appreciate that they start to do that joke a little bit. It's just peppered in throughout, but then they very much make fun of it later on in year four. Yeah. So Megan puts a bit of a damper on this story by finishing it, saying that the Puffs are, in her words, just the dumb kids. So that brings everyone's mood down a bit from Cedric's wholesome story. Wayne and Oliver then talk to her, and she is just ashamed to be a Puff. Her whole family was Puffs, and she says that Puffs don't even have a thing. She brings up, what are our potential options? Loyalty? Being nice? Those aren't things which, I would just like to say, are very much things, and are very much good things, and are criminally underrated. It's definitely, when you put it in the context of like, oh, you're not brave, or not smart, or not winners or whatever we're going with for Slytherins this year, depending on how the hat decides to sing it. Cunning. Uh, or, you know, not self-interested or not crafty or not yeah. whatever, you know, we're, we're going with for Slytherins this year. Like, if you think about it, if you're running a school and you've got like four candidates to run your school and one of the candidates is like, I want to only teach brave students. And one of them's like, I want to only teach smart students. And one of them's racist and (laughs) and the fourth one is like because i think it's the hat song from the first year 
where Helga Hufflepuff's is, I'll take them all and treat them all the same. Hire that principal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's who should be running your entire school is someone who believes that before they believe any of the other stuff. It's also very important because if Hufflepuff did not choose to take the lot, if she said, I'll take the kids who are bilingual, like there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people that just can't go to Hogwarts now be like, well, you're not brave, smart, racist, or bilingual. So goodbye. You know, like there, someone had to take one for the team and say, you'll take everyone else. And this is something we'll cover much later in the episode when they actually get to finish this story is that Helga Hufflepuff is the only one who acts like a, a normal person and says that she's going to teach people because this is a school. Yeah. And I think that doesn't necessarily come up enough at Hogwarts, the school. Like, it's so strange to be like, I will only take the people at age 11 years old who have already found out who exactly who their personality is. I know that I had some of my personality at age 11, but age 11, Mike Schubert wasn't necessarily age 18, Mike Schubert, who is now, yeah, like, it's yeah. so hard to think of you having a defining characteristic at age 11. And I guess the hat could maybe work differently. There's all these different theories about potential and all this other stuff. But Hufflepuff, I think, gives the only logical way to approach sorting children into a house. Yeah, like Hufflepuff is how you should run a school. <laughs> mm -hmm. But Hogwarts is how you should not run a school. So it kind of makes sense that 75% of the houses would make no sense. Yeah. So, it, you know, it just like, obviously it makes sense to like have a place for smart people. And like, and we do have, you know, schools for like, schools for like gifted students or like art high schools or like these sort of things where, you know, the, the goal is that, like, we are going to have a focus in our teaching. And so we want students where that focus is a thing that will benefit them. Mm -hmm. But it's like, this is the school. This is the <laughs> only school. Right. You take everyone or, like, stop pretending to be a good school. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that the schools that you mentioned usually are set in mind of some sort of goal. If you go to a performing arts school, it's because you want to have a career in the performing arts. If you go to culinary school, you're trying to be a chef of sorts. Yeah, or like trade schools or whatever, where it's like right. you, have, you have a very specific goal of what you're educating for. Right, but Hogwarts houses, aside from Hufflepuff, are sorted based on your personality, <laughs> which it's not even like they sorted the school based on, oh, these are the people who are good at charms, or these are the people who are trying to work in the ministry Yeah, it's not, or whatever. it's not like majoring or something. Yeah, it's very strange to imagine if you were going to college, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to the school because I'm funny. Yeah, like it's or <laughs> I'm going to the school because I'm charismatic. I don't know. It's very strange to have a school where the distinction is ah, where you end up depends on your personality trait. I mean, I've seen some pretty bad uses for those like Myers-Briggs assessments. Uh, <laughs> is, is Myers-Briggs like ENFJ, whatever yeah, stuff? Yeah, I, I think it's that one. Mm, yeah. Personality things are fine, but also you don't have to be defined by what a test tells you. Yeah. You're you. You're not four letters in a particular order. And now let's get back to the 150-somethingth episode of this podcast about a school where that's exactly how it works. <laughs> Touche, touche, touche. <laughs> so Megan continues. She says that her mom was different. Quote, she made the name Jones mean something other than being just a bunch of puffs. 
I do think it's funny that her last name is Jones, and I don't know how popular Jones is in the wizarding world, but I don't know that a name as popular as Jones would be, ah, what comes to mind when you think of Jones? The people in the puffs, not just, you know, a large percentage of humans. Ah, the Hufflepuff Joneses. (laughs) Megan also says that she even got rid of her accent so I wouldn't sound like my Puff family, which I didn't ask the actress this because I did not want to be offensive, but I thought it could be a fun workaround too. She couldn't do a convincing British accent, so why don't we just write write in this way of her not having to do so? Which, you know, as you and I have been plagued through the design of a short-form improv game where you have to do an accent that you are very bad at, often for comedic effect. I mean, if I was in Puffs and I was tasked with doing an accent I didn't feel confident in, I would not want to do it. And I don't think anybody really minds that Megan doesn't have an accent. I don't think anyone's like, oh, the authenticity of this play makes no sense. She's supposed to be from the UK. Yeah. I mean, I I sort of took the fact that the characters, you know, didn't have British accents, you know, they're from America as, as kind of a joke on sort of fan fiction Mary Sue's that are so often like American exchange students to Hogwarts. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. they're being written by Americans. So like I just kind of took it as a riff on that. But yeah, I mean it is it is probably also <laughs> just nice if your leads aren't stumbling through accents. You know, we can't all be the actress whose McGonagall impression is shockingly good. Very accurate. Very, very accurate. So Megan realizes that she was being a bit of a bummer. So she goes on and says, I'm sorry to make things so serious and then hugs Oliver. And we get the first instance of what becomes a recurring bit where Wayne then comes into the hug and goes, I'm coming in, (laughs) which I don't know if this was what they were going for, but it reminds me of, I forget what movie it's in. One of the movies, Hermione is sad about something and she hugs Ron for emotional support. And then Harry waits a beat and then also joins in on the hug. And it's very third wheelie awkward. So I hope that this is what they were making fun of. Regardless, it's a fun first instance of what becomes a very cute, endearing, recurring hug bit amongst this trio. So then they go to Hogsmeade, and the first thing I noticed from watching the film version that I couldn't tell from my seat when I watched it live is that their bottles of butterbeer, which I've just learned is a tongue twister, I've edited out me stumbling over that a couple times, their bottles of butterbeer have a Lando Lakes butter logo (laughs) on it. Which is genius. I noticed it while watching it. I was like, why does it have the land? Because it's (laughs) butterbeer. It's really funny. And that's a little thing that you might not notice depending on how close your seat is when you see it live. So I very much appreciate that using Broadway HD to stream this, it could zoom in on that. And I really (laughs) loved the commitment to that prop. All of their props. And like you get this a little bit in in the filmed version where you can see like what's on the Puffs uh, homeroom bulletin board. There's like notes and things. There's like no one from the audience can read this, but like all of this stuff, like someone has actually, you know, written out this flyer or like, you know, this notice or whatever. Like this is handwritten. Like this is, you know, no one's going to appreciate this, but like as close as you want to look, someone has worked on this, which is, it's a really cool attention to detail. It's really well done stuff. The actress who played Harry did all of the props and the set design and stuff, and she did an amazing, amazing job. Props. Oh, <laughs> just props. Uh, <laughs> making fun of the thing that I think is quite astounding 
is that Butterbeer is a little bit alcoholic and it's a bunch of very young children <laughs> drinking it. So it starts with the classic them all being a little bit awkward trying to have a conversation and then you very quickly cut to them being quite drunk. And then there is a song which I could only describe as a copyright avoiding cover of Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. So can I talk about that song? Please do. Yes, you are the perfect person to talk about this. I was already happy that I was talking about this because of the, you know, fringe theater, Harry Potter comedy. Like I'm all about the topic anyway, even though I hadn't seen the play. But if you know me at all, you will be aware that I am a huge Chumbawamba fan. (laughs) I didn't know this about you, but this is the least surprising thing I've ever heard from anyone. (laughs) Uh, To the point that for the last several years, I have been researching a song-by-song podcast about the music of Chumbawamba, America's favorite anarchist pop band. They're American? I always imagined that they were Irish. No, they're British. Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) The Danny Boy thing made me think that they were Irish. <laughs> no, uh, so here's the thing. I did start that podcast. I got a couple episodes in, and then I started having weird issues with my eyes that made it hard to use a computer. So mm. it's on hiatus. But if you look for the podcast, the music's not a threat. You can hear me talk in depth about Chumbawamba. And then we got to this bit with this song. And you better believe as soon as this was over, I found and downloaded this song. Uh, Lift Up Your Cups. Which is, yeah, it is an amazing parody of Tub Thumping musically in that it is not the chord progression from Tub Thumping. It's not the tune from Tub Thumping. It's not even quite the rhythm of Tub Thumping, but it is so clearly Tub Thumping. (laughs) That's what makes it so impressive is that you listen to it and you just in your gut know this is Tub Thumping. But aside from the part where it says take a cider drink, take a butter drink, take a whiskey drink, like that's the very obvious part. But everything else, it's like just close enough where everything is just, you know, two degrees off in a different way. But it's it's all coming together. You know, it's tub thumping and it's it's impressive of how they make it happen. Yeah. In the song, in the place where, you know, they would have you're never going to keep me down. It's don't let them put you down. And as far as that goes, like and I think this is the reason why they also use it as their curtain call music is like. If you want to sum up, like, the puff ethos, as interpreted through this play, it's, you couldn't do much better than, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. And Chumbawamba were anarchists and didn't do super well in school, so I don't know that they would have a house or, like, admit to being (laughs) part of a house. I think they would reject the whole system, but they'd probably hang out with the puffs, you know? Yeah, it feels about right. Now, since I have you on, resident Chumbawamba expert, (laughs) this is a burning question I've had for a long time. They do say pissing the night away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because you are drinking so much you're going to the bathroom a lot? Or is it like wasting time? I've always been perplexed by pissing the night away. So uh, all of them. Okay, good. In British English, like getting pissed is getting drunk. Mm -hmm. So pissing the night away they're you know they're talking about a night of drinking of getting pissed of you know the night going away just like we do like pissing something away can also be you know to to lose it Got to it. waste it uh so i think the the multiple potential meanings are are very much intentional got it thank you burning question answered well it's a good thing you asked because if i if i ever get the podcast under like finished Tub thumping is going to be the last episode I do. So you're going to have oh, to wait a long time for that. Smart, smart. Keep, them waiting, keep them waiting. 
the the drunkenness gets to the point where Leanne is in the crowd, which is very fun. And then I forget what professor comes in, but someone comes in and just yells, you are 13 at the top of their lungs, which makes it all very clear the joke that they are going after. And I think that this is the perfect spot to end this episode of Potterless, where we definitely talked about puffs the entire time, especially <laughs> this little uh, tub thumping tangent. Oops. So David Gordon, thank you so much for joining on. Of course. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet or otherwise, where can they do so? If you want to hear my wizard rock music as alas earwax, you can find that at earwaxrock.bandcamp.com, including Enter Thickness featuring <clears throat> Mike, a.k.a. Ludo Badman. And that is bad with two Ds, much yes, like Mike Jones would spell it. <laughs> uh, and then if you're interested in hearing me talk at length about Chumbawamba in the few <laughs> episodes I got out before I had to go on a medically induced hiatus, you can check that out at musicthreat.net and at some of the places where podcasts are found. I didn't actually get it on all the podcasting platforms before the hiatus. Well, there you go. And if anything is truer to form than getting a tub-thumping Chumbawamba podcast back up on it, it's you getting knocked down but getting back up again because you're never going to keep me not podcasting. Exactly. So, David, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, as they get back up again, wizard on! Hey, the new year is coming up, and maybe you're thinking, new year, new me, I'm going to make a new podcast. Well, if you need some help, Multitude has a whole bunch of resources that are available for free. You can go to multitude.production slash resources and check all of those out. Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Cluster Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary, Dosh, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Elnor, Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consolver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfor, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Maya, Flor Sake, Georgia Davis, Skylar Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Jarls, Fiven, Pita McGrath, Jen and Rose Daub, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's mom, Madison, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiddas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Lior Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzian, Henrika Wolf, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zot, Jack Gitzes, Sophia Leone, Dane Nemcher, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her daddykins, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan Shunpei, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Somers, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Laurel, Mazatov Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe McHufflepuff, Wire Warrior, Punk Fish, Rochelle Mobs, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Eye Potter, Web Design by Kelly Schubert and the music 
Music is by Bettina Campamadas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash powderless, twitter.com slash powderless pod, instagram.com slash powderless podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash powderless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to powderlesspodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash powderless. And for merch, you can go to powderlesspodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, you think of someone who might like it, shoot them a message, send them a link, say, hey, there's this podcast. I think you'd really like it. The host seems like a wonderful and very humble person. Or you could leave a rating and review online. That would really help as well. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, who wizard on? Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.